And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Spin Rate presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. That's right, this is Spin Rate, the Toronto Blue Jays podcast here on The Athletic. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are talking about. Your 91 and 71 Toronto Blue Jays. What an incredible winning record that is. 20 games over 500. Surely a team that with that kind of prodigious win total and gaudy run differential, surely that team is playoff bound. Alas, they are not. So there's no one else who I could and should talk to about what happened in the micro sense and in the macro sense with your 2021 Toronto Blue Jays, other than Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, welcome. Thank you for finding the time. Yes. Thank you for having <laughs> yes. me on. On the show that you co-host. <laughs> yes. Before we get into it, obviously we'll do the housekeeping, which is to say that if you haven't read what Caitlin's immediate postmortem, plus all the stuff that's coming to, that's still coming down the pipeline, Make sure you go to theathletic.com slash spinrate and subscribe so you can read what she has written covering the Toronto Blue Jays as she has through this unbelievable 2021 season. And then to read everybody else all through the playoffs as, as we head towards the World Series in what is surely to be a cursed matchup between two cursed teams. That's just the only guarantee that I can offer. And we want you to subscribe to the show. Subscribe and uh, give us a rating and a review. Here, as we draw to the end of the first season in the history of Spin Rate. Of course, we want to say thank you to everybody for coming along for the ride. Caitlin, what do you think? First year of Spin Rate, first year as a full time podcaster. What do you got to say for yourself? Oh, yeah. Um, well, thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all the nice notes about listening to the podcast and reading my work and um, all the appreciation that I received over the last couple of days. It's very nice. But yes, it's been a new experience for me, talking out my thoughts as opposed to just writing them down. And it's been helpful. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I talk a little bit on here and I share some things and I think I should write this down. (laughs) It sounded pretty good. (laughs) Inside the process. Now, we're recording this. We don't yet know who will play in the ALCS. By the time the people hear this, they will know, but we don't. So we'll talk more about the Blue Jays than anybody else. Also, before we get into it, I will plug the episode that I recorded previously with Dan Schulman. Had a great chat with Dan Schulman all about the Blue Jays, the season, his experience, also looking ahead. A great chat, a true prince of a man, and an all outstanding broadcaster. Just uh, the, the best of the best. So go and dial that one up after you finish listening to this we are taking a dive of an uncertain depth into the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays. So, Caitlin, before we get into the what happened in the bigger sense, I'd love to know from you what happened on that fateful Sunday. Going to the ballpark, everybody's playing at once. The Blue Jays need to win. They have hammered, or not hammered, but they, they had big leads in both the Friday and Saturday game. So they came along, they understood the assignment. They knew what they needed to do. They needed to beat the Orioles. So what was it like in the ballpark in, and on the way to the ballpark and in the run-up to the game? And then as the game got out of hand quickly, I would love to know what you saw and experienced. Yeah, well, firstly, it was really exciting to just have that sort of, um, all those stakes going on the last game of the year, um, have so many different tiebreaker situations in play, I was, you know, impressed with myself 
over the weekend, just kind of figuring out all these different tiebreaker scenarios and all these scenarios where, you know, even on Friday and Saturday, it was still in play that the Blue Jays could have actually won the first wild card if things had gone a certain way, namely the Red Sox losing more than they ended up losing. Um, but there was a lot of scenarios in play even waking up Saturday morning still. So um, on Sunday, the path was narrower and that essentially it boiled down to the Blue Jays needed a loss from either the Yankees or the Red Sox or both. Um, and the Mariners were in play, but it didn't really matter what they did because they were in the same situation as the Blue Jays and that they could only force ties. They couldn't, um, they couldn't get their way to a wild card game outright. So, um, heading to the ballpark Sunday, I mean, in some ways it felt like completely normal, um, at the ballpark. And one thing I'll say that is impressive and maybe it's something that is just how baseball players are, or maybe it's something kind of defining about these particular Blue Jays, um, players, but, you know, it seemed like any other game. Like you couldn't really tell that it was like game 161, game 162 kind of thing. Um, it seemed like it was just any other game and like they were dancing and singing and, um, you know, you could not tell that their sort of playoff lives were on the line because everyone seemed really chill. Um, and I think they played that way. I think would say Friday got a little close there. Um, but the both Saturday and Sunday game were really loose games, which is kind of how you know the Blue Jays are at their best, I think, is when they really do play loose and kind of lean into their strengths. So anyway, from a from a players and game perspective, it felt quite normal. Um from a work standpoint, you know, it was funny kind of just talking to all the other beat writers and figuring out, you know, what kind of travel plans they had already mapped out, what had people you know, some people came to the ballpark with their suitcase already. Um, some people had plans that if it, there was a situation where the Blue Jays had to be in Seattle on Monday, which was a situation that was in play, um, you know, they were going to be flying to Vancouver after the game. And so I was in a situation where I was kind of like game plan, you know, what made the most sense for me in terms of how I would approach covering kind of a frantic travel schedule being just one single person. I can't be in two places at once and I can't necessarily get across the country um, just as a single person. Uh, I mean, I can, but it's just, you know, if something goes wrong or any travel delays and, you know, if the Jays had to be in Boston I and I can't get to Boston, then no one's in Boston. So um, for me, it was a little bit stressful just in the sense of like, I really had to kind of think ahead and kind of, map out what I would do travel wise. Um, and I think I had kind of come to terms with what I think I would have done. Um, and, and yeah, so then watching the Blue Jays game, I had a sense that they were going to win. Just, they came out, you know, very strong. Um, Vladdy in particular had a really, um, or I guess it was the day before, but Vladdy in particular had looked really calm and relaxed and like, they all looked like that, like I said. So, um, yeah, the Blue Jays game got out of hand really quickly, which was kind of nice in the sense that at least you didn't necessarily have to scoreboard watch the Blue Jays game. I mean, I was sitting there in the stadium, so I knew it was happening. Um, but I was pretty sure that Blue Jays were going to hold up their end of the bargain and they were going to get the win. So then it was just a matter of watching the other games. I have to say that as, much, as fun as the Mariners were, um, I was sort of actively rooting against anything that involved them because honestly, going to adding Seattle to the equation, the travel equation was <laughs> really, really kind of mind bending and was really difficult. Um, so I was keenly watching the Angels, um, hoping that they would pull it off in only the most selfish reasons of the sense that I don't think I would have been, been able to go to Seattle. Um, and then the Yankees and the Red Sox games were excruciatingly slow. Um, they kind of unfolded and almost up until like the very end um, unfolded in a way that looked like it was going to be favorable for the Blue Jays. Um, you know, the Red Sox were down 5-1 at one point um, and they had the, the optimal scenario went for the Blue Jays and that Chris Sale did not have a typical Chris Sale start. He was out of the game early. The Blue Jays, sorry, the Red Sox bullpen was not well rested um, because they had gone through a lot of their relievers in the two earlier games. Um, and they were you know, calling on some of their starters kind of all hands on deck, which is kind of something funny that the Blue Jays, we thought maybe they would have to if Ryu didn't go out and start well, but they really didn't have to. It didn't even, didn't even matter how Ryu pitched because he had like a nine run lead. Um mm -hmm. 
So that was kind of the optimal scenario for them. And then the Yankees game, it was like, um, surely one of the best scoring teams in the majors this year is going to be able to manage one run here to beat the Yankees because in a, in a must win game, the Yankees managed one hit until the ninth inning. Um, and so that was kind of, I think what made it feel like such a gut punch because the Blue Jays won, they walk off the field, and I think almost simultaneously or almost immediately or maybe even slightly before the game ended, uh, the Blue Jays game ended, that we we knew the Yankees had won. Um, they won in the ninth inning. Um, oh, the tenth inning. Ninth inning. Wasn't it the tenth? No, you're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Apologies. Yeah. And then so that happened, and then you were like, okay, the Red Sox. And they were still down at that point, I think. Maybe they had – and then they had sort of quickly tied it. Um, and then you were just waiting. And then the saddest part, of course, was that the Blue Jays, you know, stadium operations put the Red Sox Nationals game on the big screen as the Blue Jays game had ended. And for a brief moment, there was a chant that broke out. There was either a chant for the Nationals or the Expos or a little bit of both. Um, it was hard to kind of differentiate the crowd noise and what they were actually saying. Um, and within like minutes, if not like the first minute, the game was on the big screen. Um, Devers hit the home run that put the Red Sox ahead. <laughs> and I think, honestly, I think Vladdy was like sitting in the dugout still and he saw it. And, um, you know, obviously he was not, he didn't look happy in that moment. And yeah, it was, it was kind of um, totally unfortunate for the Blue Jays. They did what they had to do um, and they just didn't get, any help they needed some help and you know they got some help maybe along the way in the sense that it was made close like Tampa won those first two games that even kept the scenario where they could tie the Yankees in play so they were getting some help they did not get any help at all from the Nationals and it's um you know watching some of those teams well two observations it is kind of mind-blowing that the Blue Jays lost two games to the Nationals um because the way that the Nationals played the Red Sox, I don't understand how the Blue Jays lost those games. Um, I mean, I do understand it was bullpen, but... Um, <laughs> and the other thing is that... Um, actually, I forget what my other... Oh, my other point was that um, everyone was like, because the Red Sox had lost to the Orioles, so it kind of seemed like maybe they were like going to you know, trip up against the Nationals. But the one thing is like the Orioles can hit. They can't pitch, but they can hit. And so it's mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that the Red Sox could lose two games to the Orioles because the Red Sox don't have a very good bullpen anymore and they didn't have a good bullpen in that series against the Orioles because they were still missing their their guy. And um they lost those two games. But the Nationals can't hit. They have one good hitter and that one good hitter actually had probably his worst series of the season or maybe one of his worst series of the season. Um, Juan Soto had an opportunity to hit that grand slam. He had a lot of opportunities. Didn't get it done for his friend, Vlad. We'll be right back with more spin rate, but first check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So that's the next piece. Of, the next piece of the question is like so. That's that. That's how we got here in terms of how that all played out. And uh, like you said, the Blue Jays took care of business as they, as they needed to, sweeping the uh, truly pathetic Orioles. I hope we never see a team as bad as the Orioles um, anytime soon. It's really like it does a, a disservice to the game at large. And I hope they get what they, they got what they wanted. Congratulations! You know, you, you got the second pick in the draft. I think first or second. I think the Diamondbacks were worse, but. Just embarrassing. It's an embarrassment for the sport. But 
you mentioned those two games that the Blue Jays lost to the Nationals and and how they didn't get any help. And, you know, I you don't even have to go back. I mean, we can go back, and there's been a lot of talk about the game, in, the game against Detroit or Marcus Simeon, who obviously the Blue Jays wouldn't have been anywhere without him this year, but made that crucial error on the last play of the game. There's talk about, you know, some of the games. I was looking, I, I was cursing TJ Zoik's name at one point today <laughs> because, you know, he pitched five times to the Blue Jays. He pitched decently on opening day or in the, in the series against the, uh, the, not opening day, series against the Yankees on the beginning of the season. And then he had just like four terrible outings that I don't know, you can't say that they cost them the, t- the game or Brad Hand, but you know, there's 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 any number of games and opportunities that you that you can point to and be like the Blue Jays couldn't they had needed to do better. They needed to take two of three from the Yankees. Mm-hmm. You know, last week they didn't do that. So, what do you think? Why are we here? Why did the Blue Jays not make the playoffs in your mind? Um. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think that you can go back to a lot of games where they should have won, where they held leads and they didn't hold on or whatever happened. I think at the same time, though, like if you do that, then you have to look like the way that baseball works is that you're going to lose some games that you should have won and you're going to win some games that you probably shouldn't have won. So there was a quite a number of comebacks that the Blue Jays um, made over the season, especially in September, um, where, you know, some of that does sort of even out a game where they were losing eight to two in the eighth inning doesn't look like a game they're supposed to win. And, and somehow they did win that game against the A's. And there was other games, even those games against the Orioles, it didn't look like they were going to win those two games against the Orioles on the, that doubleheader Saturday, and they won both of them. Um, so I think that, of course, it doesn't totally balance out, but I just, I have a hard time necessarily kind of, um, Boiling, boiling the whole season down to a few handful of games that they should have won. Of course, when it's just like one win short, that's an easy thing to do. To me, one of the biggest factors, I think, yes, the bullpen not being effective in May and June, um, there was a number of games there that were really frustrating. There was a series against the Yankees um, in June, I think, where they got swept by the Yankees in Buffalo. And it was just a really kind of bad, heartbreaking. I think they had leads in all those games. Um, it was really tough. I think it was the first time the Yankees were in Buffalo. And so I think it was overwhelming um, the amount of animosity that the Blue Jays also faced um, in that particular series in, in Buffalo, um, which doesn't mean that that means they're going to lose or they're going to play bad because people are booing them. Like they can win games on the road. So um, that's not the only reason. But um, yeah, you can point to a lot of games, I think, in that May, June range and also that kind of um, bad road trip on the West Coast after the really strong homestand um, when they came back to Toronto. So yeah, of course the bullpen, I think to me, like one of the things that I think actually doesn't get talked about as much, but I think would have made up the difference um, would be if Springer had been healthy. Like he missed the first third of the season. Like, and then you have to also factor in that because he missed so much time in the 78 games he played or whatever, you know, we know a handful of those games he was playing on basically one leg at the end. He w- really wasn't at his best. He was still recovering from that knee injury. Um, I think that also when he was coming back earlier from uh, the quad injury, um, it took him some time also to kind of find his rhythm at the plate. And so, yes, he contributed over 78 games, but I would say like, I don't know how many games, you know, was he at his best at for 60 of those games, you know, because he's taking some time to get into the season and whatnot. I think that if you have Springer all season or, you know, even if you have him for 120 games or 140 games, which looks more like a Springer season um, had been in the past with the Astros and how many games he was kind of averaging, um, I think that makes up somewhat of the difference. Um you know, if you have Springer hitting in some of those games that were close and the bullpen was not able to hang on to, you know, maybe the lead is five runs and not three runs and they are able to hold on. You never know, right? And I think to me, like, um, and I, I think the bullpen thing, it's not just like, it's, I think some people so easily say, well, this team didn't build a good bullpen. Um, you know, they actually had a lot of injuries that, took what should have been a pretty okay, um, pretty decent, and actually was almost looked at it as a strength. Um, certainly it looked more like a strength than their rotation did at their 
early outset of the season. Um, but they just had a lot of injuries to the bullpen. The one that sticks out and doesn't get talked about a lot because it happened so quickly um, was David Phelps. Like he was going to be a key piece of that bullpen. He was going to be kind of what Tim Meza ended up being. But if you think of a scenario in which they have David Phelps and then Tim Meza becomes Tim Meza, then you're talking about, um, you know, even before they go and acquire um, Adam Simber and Trevor Richards, and they probably do that regardless because they still had some other struggles in the bullpen, like Ryan Baraki didn't really sort of deliver on sort of what you hoped he could be given the hints you saw in 2020. Dolice was just not effective this year. Uh, you lost Julian Merriweather. Um, so I think they still kind of, I think there's still, a, you know, alternate universe where David Phelps does not get injured, but they still go out and get Adam Simber and um, Trevor Richards because of the other sort of holes that they would still have. But I just think that, you know, if you had, um, if you had David Phelps, it would have made the bullpen look a lot better. Um, it would have been more of a strength or it would have been more steady. Um, I think his injury was just really huge for the team. It kind of went under the radar a little bit because, there was a lot of other bullpen injuries that were happening. And then like the storyline of the bullpen kind of stopped being just the injuries. And it started, people just sort of started focusing on the blown saves and the blown leads and all that kind of stuff. And the reason for that was because you were putting guys in situations that they were not able to handle. You know, Anthony Castro is in his first season basically, and he can't, you know, he, he's not a high leverage guy yet. And, um, Joel Piamps is, you, you know, for part of, for the time that he was with the Blue Jays, he actually like led the bullpen in innings. Like they were using him a ton. And he was, then he was also a guy that later was DFA'd. And like, so that just shows you kind of how desperate they were. Like they just did mm. not have, and like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily, I remember writing this at the time and there was so much outrage about the bullpen and it's like trades don't, bullpen trades don't happen in may they don't like they rarely happen and the act and you know the team did pull off the simber and richard trades quite early if you think about the timing of trades like simber uh arrived at the end of june and richard was a week later that's pretty early and they think that that did save the bullpen and you wish it happened a couple weeks earlier maybe if you're the blue jays and you get a couple squeak more a couple more wins but i mean you know, there's just so many what ifs, I guess. The, that's a great point, and I agree about the the trades don't happen that early. If you say, well, maybe they should have got Jose Barrios earlier, like, well, you know, which no one, that, I'm creating a straw man. Yeah. Because I, I had a debate, not unlike this, with somebody on Twitter a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, and it was like, maybe they need to go get Barrios earlier. And it's like, but he's not available in May. The the no. Twins want they thought they were going to win that division. They aren't going to trade their their ace in May when they're when they have still so much to play for that they could turn their season around and be fine. I think if you look at the bullpen, I, I looked at a couple other measures as well today. And it, it, when you get to the end of the season and you start to look at like, well, what, what were they on balance? And at the, at the end of the day, the, the Blue Jays bullpen was middle of the road mm-hmm. in terms of like, you know, wins above replacement, which is not the great measure for relievers. But I was looking at their fan graphs tracks, these things called shutdowns and meltdowns, right? Where uh, if a pitcher swings the win probability by 6% in either direction, Positive, like increases it by 6%, that's a shutdown. Decreases it by 6%, that's a meltdown. As far as shutdowns and meltdowns, like very much in the middle of the pack, especially if you look at the differential, like what, how many shutdowns versus meltdowns, they were like 14th. How many, what, what rate of shutdowns per meltdown, they were like 15th. In the end, they were right in the middle. And the same thing, I was just looking now at the defense, right? The defense was a big issue, especially in the early days um, before the Blue Jays sort of solidified third base. So those, these, these are the kind of things you can say. Like, well, maybe they, if they had gone to Santiago Espinal earlier and then let him play third base for more of the season, maybe he really locks down that defense and they sort of give up earlier on Kevin Biggio at third base, as an example, or give up earlier on Kevin Biggio in general. Or the flip side of that is maybe Kev, Kevin Biggio is healthier than maybe the things are better. And in, at the end of the... Uh, I, I talked about this with Dan Shulman on the show that was the, the, from earlier that has been out by the time people hear this one. If we and if you and I sat here at the beginning of the season and said Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to finish second in the MVP, and some folks think he should finish first, and they'd be wrong. Uh, Dan's point 
was if Marcus Simeon hit 45 fucking home runs as a free agent. He had 45 home runs. Malik Manoa is going to come up when Rookie of the Month be like a, a fringe Rookie of the Year candidate. All these, Bo Bichette is going to have a five-win year. Going to have one of the best year, years by a short, Blue Jays shortstop ever. Mm-hmm. George Springer is going to not play it. Like the thing about Springer, people could be like, "Well, oh, Springer was healthy. George Springer is not going to be healthy. He's not going. He's never going to play 140 games. You're going to get what you get from him. That's baked into the price. But like almost everything at the end of the day looks at the end of the season looks like that is a team that would should be in the playoffs. And you wouldn't trade any of that stuff. And you, even if you said the Blue Jays are going to win 91 games, you'd be like, okay, well, they're in the wild card if nothing else. And and did did anyone did if you and I were talking, did we, would we have said that the Red Sox are going to win 92? Nope. <laughs> would we have said the Rays are going to win 100? Nope. So it's hard because it's hard to to it's hard because it's you the reflux to desire to put your finger and be like, this is the thing that screwed the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. But it was just a, like at the, the bullpen, which was obviously very good in April, like inexplicably good in April, mm-hmm. was bad. The defense was bad. And then everything was, was pretty good. But then uh, this random thing happens and that random thing happens. And the, I used the example, um, was it last when we, my, my, my on the radio, there was the, that, that sequence against the Yankees where it was, yeah, this was on the radio. I mentioned this. It was that, that, Played appearance was it Trevor Richards who would change up down and away. Anthony Rizzo all choked up, reached out, poked it out to left field, falls right in front of Corey Dickerson. Uh, Gio Urshela is running around the bases, looking awful, running terribly, looking back over his shoulder and being like, "What the hell's going on?" Dickerson gathers, throws it onto first base, hits him square in the back. Mm-hmm. Right, so like those two little fluky things. That yeah, Anthony Rizzo's got great back control. That's kind of what he is. But like, maybe he, he can't control hitting it there as opposed to hitting it close enough to Dickerson or keeping it fa- fair foul. That's just shit luck. And the Mariners had good luck this year. And if the Blue Jays had half of what the Mar- the luck the Mariners have, they win a hundred games. Yeah, I think their expected wins was like ninety nine or ninety eight or something like that. And mm-hmm. I know people don't like to like you know your record is what your record is, and the Blue Jays were a ninety one win team. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it also is fair to just acknowledge that yeah, they a lot of times they didn't have luck on their side, or you know something didn't something about this team um, kind of defied the odds somewhat that typically tell us that a team that has a run differential of 183 that has seven players that have hit more than 20 home runs that has two players, two players that hit more than 40, um, you know, like that typically tells us that that is going to be a playoff team. And you look at, and I think that this is, I don't think, I don't know that you'll feel this way because I don't know that you buy into these sort of like home vibes, but I do think that this team has a few more wins if they were in Toronto all season long. Yeah. I don't think that's unfair to say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just, I, I think that, I think that the Blue Jays record when they came back to the Rogers center the, the counter to that, it is slightly inflated, right? They're not going to win. What were they, 25 and 11 or something when yeah, they came? Yeah, it was back? like an almost 700 win. Yeah, so they're not going to win that much normally. Yeah. The impact of all the COVID stuff and the extra drag at the border, I'm sure, and just the the sense of that, that, that extra amount of burden on the visiting team, I think, could have potentially done it. But then the other other sides of it, and, and again, this is I, this is fresh in my mind. But like the building was full of only Blue Jays fans because Yankee fans couldn't come across the border. You know, obviously, it didn't really help the Blue Jays when they lost two of three to the Yankees. But uh, but uh, but yeah, it's just like I, I don't think it's unfair to say that playing in Buffalo, playing in Dunedin, moving around, not knowing, having the uncertainty, not having your own bet. These are baseball players, right? They're creatures of habit. They do the same thing every day. And you hear Marcus Simeon was talking about when they were in Toronto, how much he liked it. You can walk to the ballpark. Well, you're not walking to the ballpark in Dunedin or they're not walking to the ballpark in, uh, in Buffalo. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's just one of those, it's just, it's a thing that happened. They won 91 games. That's what they deserved. But they're a team that has had so much talent. Obviously, they've got to fill some holes. A team that has so much talent that you expect them to be at, in a similar place next year. 
even if yeah. if if they just that sort of weirdness and that little bit of bad luck or if it's bullpen management or just timeliness that's often it's just timely it's the timeliness of that error if marcus simeon makes that same error at any other point in any other game that doesn't cost the blue jays the game as 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 obviously as it did in that moment but yeah. in that moment it matters yeah i you know i was actually thinking about that today is like why does that game, the, the number of times I've seen that game, that particular play referenced on Twitter in the last 24 hours. Um, and I'm wondering, like, why is that one seared into people's brains? And, you know, a few things I've thought about is one, because it happened to someone who is so reliable defensively that I think it just st- stands out as something that happens one one time out of you know a thousand times it just doesn't happen he always mm-hmm. makes that play and so i think part of the reason is just it stands out in people's minds because it was so abnormal to see that happen i think it also stands out because it was in a particular stretch where they were not winning games it was also in a stretch where they were not only not winning games they weren't even scoring runs and so the fact that they had a lead in that game where i guess they were winning like 2-1 or something or whatever it was it was either like one nothing or 2-1 um and they just were not scoring that game um and they could not score for the life of them that entire stretch there and so i think that it stands out because it was like okay this game they finally have mustered a, a one run lead here and they're an out away and it just kind of like underlined what was a particularly frustrating stretch for the team and I think that's why that reason uh, that game in particular stands out um, but I've heard this argument and as you say I mean like Marcus Simeon was responsible for a lot more wins um, than he was responsible for maybe that one loss. And I think it's hard to even like mm. pin, pin the loss necessarily on him. Like I understand that it the error was bad, but it's also, you know, this was a team that was not scoring against the Detroit Tigers and they should be able to score against the Detroit mm. Tigers. I think that it's easy to draw a line because of the circumstance, right? Because yeah. of that, the, the very specific context of that error, the routineness of the play, the fact that it signified the last out of the game, mm-hmm. right? A marginally better throw <laughs> and the game is over and we're not talking about it. And then that's all it takes. Like, or even a marginally worse throw that bounces six inches earlier and it makes it that a little bit simpler for, for Vlad to scoop it, whatever it might be. But that's one that's gonna that's gonna live long, and and uh, I don't think it'll live long in Mark Simeon's memory. He's a pro. That's what they do. They flush and they move on, and they don't sweat those things in that way. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Now, I guess here's the next question Okay, that's sort of related to this. Do you think, so they do have holes to fill. Mm-hmm. They did get some standout performances, obviously, from Robbie Ray. Yes. Marcus Simeon. Yes. 
Steve and Matt's. Mm-hmm. They had some uh, uh, co- potential career years from Teoscar Hernandez. Potentially. Danny Jansen. He missed a lot, I don't know. He missed a lot of time, so yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put. Um, I think he had a. I think there's a lot to be excited about with Danny Jansen if he has unlocked mm-hmm. something. Which sounds mm-hmm. like he has. So, and it, it, from May first on, again in a, in a smaller sample than a lot of the players, but he was about like the second best hitting catcher in all of baseball. Yeah, but then he missed such a huge chunk of time. He did. He so like, he's a catcher. He, he still caught 50 games or something in that time. Yeah, no, it was the problem a good, was it was the 15 or 20 games he caught in April and when he was like below, below replacement, replacement level. And I think that's kind of fluke for him. I don't know that he spent, I don't know that he spent a lot of time on the injured list in the minors or anything like that. Like, I feel like he's, um, you know, it's kind of like Kevin Biggio situation where like Biggio had really never been injured in his entire career until this year. Um, and I think that probably you until you're not. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that probably contributed a little bit to the fact that he also sort of seemed reluctant to accept that he was injured. Um, maybe spending too much time playing through pain or whatever it may be, but you know, that's a whole other conversation, but back to your point, you were going on about, um, personal well, what was going on about <laughs> you were going, well, no. And I think like individual performances stand out Tim Meza, like he might've just had his career year too. Like he had like a two under two ERA for the final, like four months of the season. That's pretty rare for a reliever. Um, he turned into, uh, you know, like Zach Britton or something. And, um, Jordan Romano, like, you know, you hope this is what he builds on, but he sure looked like he, um, solidified himself as a, a really, um, shut down closer, um, potentially for years to come for the Blue Jays. But you also never know with these types of things, right? Relievers have a lot of, uh, a lot of variance, a lot of, uh, a lot of swing, right? It only takes his one, you know, even Tim Mays' numbers, if you look at them for the whole season, they're, they're so great. And he had that ter- terrible stretch of two weeks mm-hmm. where it just blew everything up. So I guess, but what I was getting at is, will the 2022 Blue Jays be better or worse than the 2021 Blue Jays. Obviously, there are a lot of things we don't know, mm-hmm. but then there's a lot of work to do. But what's again, given that we there is so much um, talent, there is so much to to believe that that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. didn't have the best season of his career. It'll be difficult to top, but there's there's nothing about Vladimir Guerrero's performance that suggests that it's it's a fluke, and that no. he is he's allowed to have a career year, but he's also allowed to set a benchmark based on his obvious and unquestioned talent. So will the 2022 Blue Jays be better than the 2021 Blue Jays? I don't know. It really depends <laughs> on how, how the offseason goes um, and who they bring back and who they add to this group. I think if you look at the core, there's no reason to believe that um, anyone's season was, um, as you say, like a total anomaly. Like I think that what Teoscar Hernandez did this year, at least it was replicating what he did in 2020 in a smaller sample size. And honestly, what he did down the stretch, even in 2019, if you go back, I mean, the sample size of him being the hitter that he was this year um, is growing and growing to the point that I don't know that he's going to have, you know, exactly the year, whatever it was, like 112 or 13 or 14 RBIs or whatever he ended up as um and you know everything that lined up but i certainly think um i don't have a reason to believe that he's going to like regress um to to not being the guy who he was you hope that a guy like lourdes guriel jr um whatever he was going through in the early parts of this season um you know maybe he figured it out down the stretch a little bit and yes he's probably going to still continue to have that streakiness a little bit but whatever he did to sort of simplify that approach um you know, he keeps that going. Bo Bichette, still a young player. He really improved his defense, I thought, to, towards um, the end of the season. Like, you know, beyond the first two months of the season where, he, you know, he was struggling a little bit def- defensively. But I think by the midway point um, and then through the end of the season, his defense was hardly a discussion. You know, like it just didn't come up. It wasn't really a talking point. Um, and so I think there's no reason to believe that like you said like a guy like Vlad like I don't 
nothing that he did, it's wild to say that <laughs> nothing he did this year is surprising because what he did was incredible, but like mm-hmm. it was not surprising. Like that is who he is. That is the player he is. He hits for a lot of power, but he also gets on base, but he also walks. He's getting better at first base. Um, everything about his season just kind of underlined, this is Vlad Guerrero Jr. This is the player that he's going to be, that he can be. Um, and I think it was good in some ways that he went through some slumping periods and then he got out of it. I think his September, if anything, is one of the most encouraging months. Um, even the final week, because he did not have a good series, um, against New York. And of course, against the Baltimore Orioles, yes, you're hitting easier pitching. It's really not, um, you know, comparable necessarily, but I do think it's good to see that he didn't get frustrated and fold in those final games. He, you know, he played really well and he's probably going to learn from it. Um, obviously he went away last offseason and had the best offseason of his life and it proved to go on to help him have the best season of his life. So there's no reason for me to believe that he's not going to go back this offseason and continue to work and try to replicate basically everything he did. Um, and so I think there's a lot of reason to believe that the core um, is going to stay as strong um, as they were this year. And I think that you would hope that, I don't know that Alec Manoa will necessarily um be exactly who he was this year because pitching can not necessarily be the development of pitchers and not necessarily a straight upward line. Mm -hmm. Um, There can be some ups and downs, but certainly everything that he showed this year looks like he's going to be a solid piece of the rotation. There's nothing to me that suggests that he's not going to be. Um, And so then you get into question marks of who do they bring back? How do they build the rotation? Burrios, having Burrios for a whole season will also make them better. Um, And um, so the question marks are, do you bring back Ray? Um, do you bring back Marcus Simeon? Do you bring back Steven Matt? Do you bring back Corey Dickerson? Do you try to keep this team kind of who they were because you really have a lot of faith in the 2021 Blue Jays and you want to just kind of run it back 2022? Or do you kind of say, you know what, we liked what we did, but we really need a third baseman and we're going to trade for Jose Ramirez? Like, do you go that route? I think there's, I think there's a case to bring the season, or sorry, bring the season, bring the team back. Um, largely how they were this season. Um, maybe you want to mix up the offense a little bit and have a few different looks in there. I think Corey Dickerson made them a little bit more varied. Um, but I don't know that he's the guy you want to like pin your different offense on. Like there's other options. Um, but yeah, for the rotation, I, I think, I don't know how much Robbie Ray is going to uh, be demanding this offseason. It's probably a lot. I think it's pretty, like I would, I think that there's a good case to be made to just bring Steven Matz back, but I do wonder how much he'll cost because I was thinking like, do you bring him back the way that they sort of immediately brought back Robbie Ray? But Steven Matz's season was a lot better than Robbie Ray's was. So your Steven Matz is going to cost a lot more than 8 million over one year. For sure. Um, you've said a lot of things there that we can kind of go through and unpack and it's, the thing that I keep coming back to is the idea that they do need to upgrade those positions. Well, they're because they're not going to get, they're not going to get seven wins out of their second baseman next year, no matter, realistically, even if they do sign Marcus Simeon, mm-hmm. right? To say, well, the new baseline for second baseman is 45 home runs, which a second <laughs> baseman has never done, and seven wins above replacement, playing like flawless, except for the one time defense at second base. Like, that's a big ask. So if you don't do, but the problem with these guys going into free agency is that this is it. This is this is Marcus Simeon's time to get paid, and he's played himself into the conversation of like a significant payday. And mm-hmm. we've had these conversations before all summer long, and I was making the case that like there's no reason that he shouldn't be looking to try to get Springer money. Mm-hmm. Now the shortstop market is flood is flooded this winter with Trevor Story, with uh, Carlos Correa, with. Corey Seager. So maybe there's not as much shortstop money out there. And Marcus Simeon was careful to say things about how he still considers himself a shortstop. I'm still a shortstop trying to get that shortstop paycheck, which I understand. But this is it for him. Like this is the time he's going to get a huge payday. Same with Robbie Ray. He's they're both what Marcus Simeon's just turned 31. He played this season as a 30 year old, I believe. And Martin Robbie Ray's 29. He just turned uh, 30. He just turned 30. So he played the season as a 29 year old. So this is it, right? Coming off a career year, nothing, there's no reason for, for the market not to believe in you and for you not to seek all that the market can give. Steven Matz is a little bit different 
but yeah, you, I agree with you 100 percent that that anyone who's thinking the, that the Stephen Mass is going to be like, I love you, Pete Walker. Here's a <laughs> let, let me let me take a, a cut rate deal is uh, a little bit is a little bit of wishful thinking. So there are, but there are, you know, Nate Pearson. Nate Pearson. I have to believe that Nate Pearson now recognizes that he can get big leaguers out. Mm-hmm. And the Blue Jays did, bless their hearts, the exact thing that I said to you that I hoped that they would. I said to you, pitch him every other day for the rest of the season. And that is exactly what they did. And he, his body stood up. His velocity was bonkers. He pitched really, really well. Do not make him a reliever full-time. Let him keep trying to start until it is abundantly clear that he can't. And now this is the this is the time where it will become clear if he can't start because you've seen him as a reliever, you've seen him get big leaguers out, you've seen him throw strikes, you've seen him get out of his own way. That's huge. That's a huge piece that they can add because he can get big league hitters out and make them look like idiots. Alec Manoa is another one. I agree with hundred percent with you. I I I don't. To me, Alec Manoa is a veteran. Yeah, he he's not a young like. Other than the fact that he is like the biggest goof in the entire world, like just the king of vibes. But the way he pitches and the stuff he's been through in the SEC, other than like battling through injury, he is going to be who he is. He throws a two-seamer. He has a really nice curveball, and he messes around with a, with a changeup when he can. But like he knows. he you, We saw him junk pitches when they weren't working. Come back to them. He threw that a lot of more four seamers, even threw harder at the beginning of the year compared to the end. I have nothing. There's no doubt. I mean, maybe he'll give up home runs one day, but he's so big. Anyway, there's a lot, there's a lot to to feel like that that core is in place. That this is, has they are still a good team. Mm-hmm. They're not going to give wins back like the Mariners are. Right, the Mariners, mm-hmm. the Mariners ranked in the bottom three or the bottom five in like almost all offensive categories. The only thing the Mariners did was they hit in the high leverage situations, which is great. Yeah, you got to do it, especially if you want to win. But the Blue Jays, if you look at some of the numbers, like they have the number two offense in terms of like weighted runs created plus, in terms of wins above replacement on Fangraphs, number one on wins above replacement on Baseball Reference. Uh, they hit a shit ton of home runs. They struck out like almost uh, the second lowest strikeout total. Mm-hmm. They draw walks. They hit for a high average. They again, and then you couple that with a with a starting rotation that was like top three or four in the American League. There's a lot to like about this team. They're in a really good spot. They just need to continue to look to add and upgrade. And and that's maybe, okay, uh, up, an upgrade means that you don't go into the season being like, we really think that Santiago Espinal is going to continue to have like a 350, 360, 390 line or whatever it was. Like, bless Santiago Espinal. He was amazing this year. But that's a position that you can maybe look to upgrade. Mm-hmm. And if you're trading with a team like Cleveland, who want big league, big league caliber players who can step right in and take over for the guy that you've, they've just traded from third base, I would it would pain me, physically pain me to see Santiago Espinal go. But if it's in a Jose Ramirez trade, I'll pack his bags. I will I will drag his suitcase on the tarmac, throw it in the back of the plane. So Caitlin, we've established that Blue Jays are going to win the World Series next year. <laughs> But and we talked a lot about you know your experience at the ballpark off the top. What do you think about this season? So this is the question that I asked Dan Schulman, and I'll ask you: Was the 2021 Blue Jays season a successful one? Um, for me personally, sure. Start with you. (laughs) Go with them. Um, hmm. Let me gather my thoughts here. Um, you know, one lingering thought I had yesterday. And this was sort of, I think, the feeling that a few of us had covering this team is that it really felt like the season was too short in some ways. And I think I mean that with the fact that covering the team and following the team as closely and getting to know the team and seeing the team up close, like really only started happening for me in July when they came back to Toronto. And it feels like even the sort of the narrative and them playing at their best, like that started to really come together more in the second half. And yeah, part of that was them getting, being a better team because they acquired Barrios and they just became a better team and Mark or, and uh, George Springer was healthier in the second half. And so 
that is sort of more on-field things, but I think the off-the-field thing of getting to Toronto, um, you know, it feels like this season was actually like two months long because that was just really when they were here and when I was sort of more like focused on them. Not that I wasn't focused on them when they were like away in Dunedin and Buffalo, but it's just it's just harder to have kind of wrap your hands and mind around a team that is so far away and you're just seeing through a TV screen and a computer screen all the time. And so for me, I had this like lingering feeling of like, wait, that's it? Like, how is the season over already? Like, I feel like I was just getting started. And I feel like that's a lot how that feeling kind of resonates with a lot of fans because the fans really only reconnected with them um, in this last couple months. Um, I think the Blue Jays players like reconnected with cities only in this last couple of months. And so I think a lot of people had this feeling of like, I can't believe it's over because I feel like it just started. Um, and that's sort of the feeling that I left the ballpark with, um, that I wasn't really ready for it to end. Um, not in the sense that like I'm rooting for the Blue Jays. I mean, I root for getting the opportunity to write cool stories and cover a team that's really interesting. And I thought that the the Blue Jays were a really interesting team in the final two months um, when they were playing a lot better, when they were making things, um, you know, really dramatic and when they were playing their best baseball and, and hitting like a team that I've never seen hit before. And, and so that to me is why, you know, it feels a little um, anticlimactic ending. It feels like abrupt. It feels like I wasn't really ready for the season to end um, because like I said, I felt like I was sort of just getting started a little bit. Um, And so that's kind of how I feel from like um, maybe a a working point of view. Um, I still think the season um, for some of the things that we said throughout this episode, um, I think the season was a success a 90, you cannot knock a 91 win team. And I kind of wrote that in my final piece about um, the team for the season. Like you can, you can both celebrate 91 wins and also kind of lament the fact that 91 wins was not enough. You know, like you can be happy and proud of a team that won 91 games and also feel sad that you, you came up one win short of at least getting a tiebreaker. Like, I think those two things can be true at the same time. Um, and so I think looking at the strides that the team has made in a short amount of time, I, I tweeted something like this, like in 2019, I was covering a 95 loss team. Um, and this year it was a 91 win team. And that's a pretty quick turnaround um, for a rebuilding team. I think you look at all the personal um, accomplishments that this team had, you know, having Vlad have the season that he had, I think I said this like near the, beginning of the season that like I felt like the season would be a success if they didn't make the playoffs but Vladdy was the absolute best version of himself and that's a sen- that's exactly what happened and so I think I can still view this season as um not a complete success because they did not get to the postseason and they definitely were a team that had um, the opportunity to get to the postseason. They were a team that looked like they were built to be in the postseason and they didn't get there. So it's not, um, you know, a slam dunk success, but I also don't think you can walk away from the season and say it was a failure. Like they accomplished a lot. Um, They had a kind of hard hand dealt to them in their sense of playing in Dunedin, playing in Buffalo, having uncertainty, um, not having their home crowds, all those kinds of things. And at the end of the day, they came up one win short, one win short. And that is both very heartbreaking, but also sort of amazing um, to know that they were that close in a season where a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot went wrong for them, especially in the first half. Yeah, it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue that it wasn't a successful season because they know, I might say it again, they they now understand the assignment, that there's no, the questions are fewer and the solutions are clearer. Yes. I think, they know. Well, I was going to say also, I mean, the one thing that I was wondering today, though, is I don't know that you're going to get another season out of the Yankees where they were kind of such a mess. But then again, I don't know how much the Yankees can fix themselves because they're kind of kind of um, boxed into a corner a little bit in which in the way that their team is built. Um, and so when they sign Marcus Simeon to play shortstop, they'll, uh, <laughs> they'll address some of their challenges. Yeah, well, that's a distinct possibility. But no, you're right. And, and hey, look, I, I, the thing I said at the beginning of the year, was that the Red Sox were going to ruin somebody's summer. 
Mm-hmm. And fall. it just so turned out that they ruined the Blue Jays' summer. Well, they ruined their fall more. Well, they ruined the whole. They ruined the whole fucking year. Is what they did. <laughs> Stupid Red Sox. I didn't think that they would be this good, but I didn't. I knew they weren't going to be bad, but I didn't think they were going to be this good. I and I, they are the most confounding team. They're they're so. Oh, they're just awful. They're going to get. Oh. I actually it's already happened, so I can't talk too much about it. But God, they ruined they ruined everything. They fucking Red Sox ruined everything. I have a similar I I hear what you're saying. I found the Red Sox pretty confusing. Um I will say that like I think the Red Sox offense was at least more consistent, but maybe not even down the stretch. But anyway, I find the Yankees equally confusing because I'm thinking back and I don't think I looked at any month of the year at Outside of that 13-win streak they had, I felt like every time I looked at the Yankees, it was like just on flames. Like I never thought they had a stretch or a month where they actually looked like a good team. I felt like they looked like a mediocre team. And I'm thinking, like, how did they get to 92 wins? Because I felt like every time I was reading about the Yankees, they were on some sort of seven, eight-game losing streak. So I'm like, how how did they get to 92? Because the, the one thing about the Blue Jays is I don't know that they had very any very long losing streaks um they didn't you know it was just kind of like they never they only really had a long winning streak near the end um in september and they had maybe one earlier in the season um sorry in the the homestand so when they came back in august and then they had another one in in september the problem with their first four months of the season is they never really went on a large run. It was kind of like two wins, a loss, two wins, a loss, a loss, a win, a loss. Anyway, but like, I guess maybe that's just what the Yankees did. And I'm just kind of like remembering the the losses more than I'm remembering the wins that they got. But to me, like the for the life of me, I didn't, I did not think the Yankees were going to do it. I thought the Yankees were going to fold down the stretch. I thought when the Blue Jays went there and swept them in four games, um, the blue, I was like, the Yankees are not coming back from this. Like, there's no way they're coming back from this. And I was wrong. Like, I mean, they didn't like, it's not like they stormed back. Um, they still lost like to Cleveland and they lost two of three against Tampa. Um, and I know the only reason they won the Tampa game in the end was because the Rays didn't care about that. The, I agree that the Yankees, the version of the Yankees that the Blue Jays swept in four games in the Bronx and the version of the of the Yankees that like beat the Blue Jays pretty handily in Toronto mm-hmm. seems like two different teams. It does. But by the time ever hmm? I said it does. And like I guess yeah. I guess that the version of the Yankees, um, the team that I saw in New York was the one that I was reading about more because maybe that was just the headlines were standing out to me and I was just not necessarily reading um about when they were putting it together. So in my mind I was just like surprised that in the end it was so close with the Yankees because I would have thought the way that their season had unfolded and some of the storylines that had emerged out of New York was that they weren't even going to be close. And then you look at the end and they're right there. They had, they had all the wins they needed. Um, so the underrated New York. Yankees. I will <laughs> say that. And I said this online is that I think Aaron judge is probably the most underrated player in baseball because he is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. When you spend a lot of money, you have a high floor. Right when you when you bring guys in that are even DJ DJ LeMay who has a terrible year, but it's like the floor is high and he's flexible, so it even raises the floor a little bit more. Caitlin, it's been a pleasure. I've had a great time talking with you on spin rate here in the 21, 21, 2021 season. And the best part is it's not going to stop, is it? We're going to keep going. Mm, are we? I, is this in my contract? Yeah, we are. Oh no! I, I what, you think we're going to uh, stop? I didn't sign getting, up for this. We are done with the garbage part of the season when they're playing games. We are into the real core of the season, and that is transactions. We're going to talk about people getting DFA, no, non-tender. The non-tender days are ahead. The 40-man roster uh, uh, pedophagery. Oh, can't wait. Mm-hmm. Winter meetings, transactions. GM Get meetings. Even the GM. GM meetings, winter meetings. It's going to be wild rule five draft love the rule five draft who doesn't <laughs> love the rule five draft but anyway it's been my super my supreme pleasure to to call you my co my partner and co-host on this show and I've, I've had a great time and i hope that the people listening at home or wherever they are walking their dog or driving somewhere maybe on a job having a great time had a great time too having a job dan shulman said he listens when he walks his dog oh to us you and me 
I know he's he's a fan. He's a fan of our podcast. That's crazy. That is not right. And I'm a fan of uh, of doing this with you. So her name is Caitlin McGrath. I want you to read her on the athletic. She has much. Are you taking any holiday? You got some time off coming up? I do. Um, not immediately, but kind of when the postseason settles into um, the CS and World Series, when typically kind of other teams kind of back off and we just let the season um, unfold, then I'll be taking some time off just because like, you know, I assume most baseball fans will just be kind of glued into the uh, this World Series and the the CS and that they don't necessarily need my off-season Blue Jays content. So I will take some I time will be off. Cooking up, I will be cooking up terrible trade uh, ideas Ooh. the whole time. I like... I will have been... I don't think... Hmm? I don't think... Like, I mean, off-season trades... I guess I shouldn't say this because... The Padres were pretty dramatic last year. But I feel like the Blue Jays' more dramatic trades always happen in season, not not off season. I think there'll be some big trades this year. Okay. I think that again, well, there's number one is the CBA. Right. And then there'll be lots of then that might chain that might force a lot of transactions if they do it are are able to get that work done. Mm-hmm. Um, which I hope that they are. I hope they can strike a fair deal that works for both teams that's reflective of the current market. And the way where the money is and where the money comes in and making sure that everybody gets good gets their share of that money. But it could move some things around as, uh, you know, the Jose Barrios type players, like a Josh Donaldson type player. Like, is Matt Chapman going to get traded this winter? Uh, there's an upgrade at third base for your Toronto Blue Jays, even though he's coming off a terrible season. Mm-hmm. Who knew? Who knows? But anyway. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Read everything she writes at The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash binrate and sign up for one full year. And my name is Drew Fairservice, and we will talk to you very soon, probably next week, as the off-season editions of Spinrate roll on.